Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nita Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back. So we're going to talk a little bit more about PLG today. In our last episode, we did an overview and a little bit of context around where PLG comes from and why it's important and a valuable revenue driver and growth lever for many tech and SaaS companies. Today, we're going to talk about the two core approaches to how you do PLG. One is to start from scratch with a PLG motion. And the second is to start with more of a traditional sales or sales and marketing-led motion and add PLG after the fact. Greenfield, you're starting with PLG. Awesome. Here we go. This is a long list. Get ready. There are 10 things to keep in mind if your company's starting with PLG. First, you got to plan ahead for marketing and sales. No matter how amazing your product is, assume that you're going to hire a sales team at some point in time and plan ahead for it. There is no shame in this. I feel weird even saying that, but I get a sense that sometimes the advice out there is that if you built a perfect product, you wouldn't need marketing and sales. And I find this baffling. That is not real. It doesn't mean your product is deficient. It's normal to assume that the smart people who buy and use your products are living their lives and are only thinking about your product for a nanosecond in those lives. And because those people are busy and have other things that they're doing, you need to get in front of them, educate them, create demand, like all of all of the above. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That is normal. That is what commerce is. So let's just set that aside and assume that once your company gets to a revenue point of probably 30, maybe 35 million, and maybe earlier, depending on the type of product you have, assume that you're going to need a good sales team and assume, in fact, this is a plea for me, I beg you to consider brand work and building a strong marketing program before you hire that sales team. Because any smart sales executive or revenue executive will tell you they're going to have a much easier time selling that really cool product that you built. If people know who your company is, that's brand. And if people are interested in and curious about your product, and those people need to be communicated with, with marketing. Calendly is one of my favorite work products. I could not have more positive things to say about them. I just feel like that tool has saved me so much time and I just love it. And one of the reasons I talk about it all the time is I think they have great marketing in addition to being a really excellent product to use. I have never had a salesperson email me or call me. I don't know when spams me. It's incredible. And yet, when I first started using Calendly, I started getting some really smart marketing campaigns from them on LinkedIn, and they were about relevant features that could actually be useful to me, and they weren't over the top, and the ad sets did not hit me in the face over and over again with the same message. They were just really thoughtful, and if there are any like Calendly folks listening to this at some point, like kudos, like chef's kiss. You've done a great job. I think you're an inspiration. Second, on this drumbeat, because I'm kind of on a roll now on marketing, 
product-led growth really means marketing-led revenue. Again, I know this is going to be controversial for some people, but here's why I believe this. Viral growth loops are super powerful, but they don't work for all products and or most products or most use cases. So I think you're better off anticipating that you're going to need to market the value of your product. Again, hopefully you have done the work to validate what the customer thinks that value is. And this isn't just your take on that. But once you know what customers really care about, what they're willing to pay for, it underpins all the marketing that is available to you. So you can use all of that incredible product data and the customer insights that you've gathered to build better marketing. And I particularly think thoughtful content programs are a really strong avenue for success in PLG. Because even if you're a product that someone uses all the time, that lots of people use all the time, nobody is going to love your product as much as you do. And that's totally fine. I think we need that kind of energy, especially if we're in a startup or really in anything in our lives. Like People are motivated to do the things they care about. And if that's you with a product that you've built, like that's awesome. Use that to fuel your success. Third thing on my list, don't optimize for signups alone. This is a little bit of a tactical note, but it has real strategic implications. You've got to have unified go-to-market goals to win at PLG. I think activated signups are a great benchmark. This is a very common benchmark in PLG. The mistake is I think a lot of companies assume that every active user is willing to pay for the product. And that's just not true. I don't think you should delude yourself. I think it's an awesome North Star metric to say, I want to get every single person that's ever used this product to buy it from us. But it's a North Star. You're unlikely to achieve it. And I think the sooner that you're realistic about it, the more that you're going to focus the time and energy on those paying customers, customer segments. And what you can do instead with some of the free users is deliver more value to them so that they become future paying customers or maybe they're referral sources or super consumers or something else that's actually additive and valuable to your business. Don't assume that they're all the same. And when you do the work to figure out who's who, that's where you really get value for yourself and your business. But if you orient your teams to only driving signups, you're going to miss out. And I have been in a company where that was the priority and it really distracted from monetization improvements and the business model optimization that was ultimately going to drive better and bigger success for the company. So keep the big picture in mind. Fourth, data sharing matters a lot, a lot, a lot in PLG. So you've got to set up your shop such that data analytics and insights are shared across marketing, product, sales, and customer success right from the start. These are super powerful insights. And again, because you started with PLG, you probably have more insights than competitors that maybe started sales-led or at older tech or just weren't as thoughtful as you are. And so if you can give every member of the go-to-market team more than just signups and product utilization data, you're going to get to faster adoption of valuable insights. And those insights are only available to you if the whole team gets to see them and collaborates to get happy users and real revenue as quickly as possible. Super important. Fifth, you've got to communicate thoughtfully. And this might be a surprising choice in a PLG conversation, but here is why. <laughs> Another very specific tactical thing I've seen. 
You've got to calibrate your product notifications appropriately. You should not spam your customers. I have been in multiple companies where this is happening and it drives your customers insane. At some point, they're going to come back and complain and you're going to lose them, especially if you have a smart competitor who doesn't do this to them. So be real with yourself. Every communication is not a product comms message. A lot of things that you want to send to your customer because you're excited and eager are probably marketing. And when they don't want to receive those messages, the customer considers them to be spam. So don't hard code your emails. Don't overdo the notifications. This is where a great UX team and, again, thoughtful, intentional product design and concept work can really, really help you. You should also give some thought to the cohesion of your messages. And this is a topic that we'll talk about in another episode in general, because I think messaging is a really important under-leveraged asset in many businesses or a potential asset. What you need to do in PLG is you have to make sure that the messages that your users and buyers or future buyers are getting are consistent, both what they see in the product and elsewhere. And again, like I said, just assume that you're going to need some marketing and sales. Also assume that your message is going to evolve over time because that's what happens. The market might change. Certainly your product or your capabilities will likely grow over time. The message is going to evolve and you want to design the product in such a way that when those changes and inflection points occur, it's easy to have message cohesion inside the product and elsewhere. And this is another thing that I think has been a miss in my personal experience in a couple of companies. Make sure you can easily test and optimize those messages as your positioning evolves. That's going to help you in the long run. Otherwise, you're always going to be chasing a development team and begging them to make updates, and they are not going to want to do it because they have bigger fish to fry. Sixth, we talked a little bit earlier about going up market. And I think you got to think about enterprise as a different segment long before you actually build anything in a PLG model. Even if it's just a glimmer in your eye, design the price, the product, and the go-to-market for the unique needs, value, and willingness to pay of the enterprise segment, no matter when you choose to add them. And eventually you will, because at a certain point, you're going to be $20, $30, $40 million. And in order to grow, you're going to need bigger accounts. You're going to need to go to larger companies. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. They just have different needs. At a minimum, they're going to want single sign-on. As I mentioned, they probably have approval processes that are a headache. Like there's just a lot in there. And there are two things that you have to keep in mind. One is they have different product needs. So it's not sufficient to just take whatever you've built and try to sell it to them at a higher price. Like I guarantee you they will not, they are smart people, they will not agree with that. Do yourself a favor and go in with an open mind for this segment. Seven, you're still going to need sales. I know this makes some people sad. It really shouldn't. I think it's a really amazing thing to watch PLG companies that have strong sales motions too. It's possible and it can be possible for you. If your plan is to go up market, this sales team is just critical. Enterprise customers have purchasing committees, complicated organizations, and stringent IT policies. 97% of B2B software buyers involve a security stakeholder in their purchasing process, according to G2. So at a minimum, you should expect that there are going to be some security considerations that are top of mind for the purchasing committee. You also have to keep in mind that there are often authorized spending limits. So 
in a business model where you're relying on self-serve, which is awesome because we know that that's what a lot of buyers want, at some point, those buyers are going to have to get approvals. And that's part of why you need to get a sales team together so that they're developing relationships. Number eight, there's a little nuance here. Don't overhire the sales organization. It's very important. In case you missed our buyer journey episode, 70% of B2B decision makers are open to new, fully self-serve purchases in excess of $50,000. 27% of B2B buyers would spend more than $500,000. And my favorite mind-blowing stat from this source, 12% of those buyers would buy up to a million dollars. This data is from McKinsey. I love this data. I think it's so amazing. You've got to enable buyers to do as much as they can because that's what they want and they are the controlling factor here. If you try to waste their time or do other things that are easier for you as a business, some competitor is going to figure out how to not do that and that competitor is going to win the market. Nine, this is about lead management, another more tactical thing to keep in mind. But there's a really important insight here. Don't penalize your sales team for working product-led growth leads. Now, this might be surprising to some people, but I've seen it happen. You want your salespeople to benefit from the work that the product is doing. And I'm sometimes just stunned to see organizations that almost want the salesperson to work harder rather than building on the work of product and marketing to make it easier to close deals. Like that's the win. The win is when all three of these things, these teams are doing what they're supposed to be doing and the whole thing feels easier. That's what we want. If one team is struggling, whether that's the product team or the poor marketing team or the sellers, something is broken. But you've got to get like the wonky mechanics right when it comes to lead management. This is things like making sure you're not having excessive meetings. This is making sure you've properly qualified people before you send them to sales. You've got a lot of work to do here, and it's more than we can get into what is already becoming a long episode, so I won't get deeper. But be thoughtful about this. Get your ops team involved. This is worth your time. Tenth and last, goals matter. All the good revenue rules apply here. You have to be thoughtful if you set up KPIs and goals around the need of the business, that's the answer and that's how you're gonna achieve success. Do not set yourself up for a PQL, MQL, SQL, a whole bunch of other acronyms where you're going through the same old waterfall and just making everything harder for yourself. Don't do that to yourself, don't do that to your team. Instead, once you know your customer segments, focus on them and make sure that every team is actually focused on the business goal, on a revenue goal, on a retention goal, not just on activities that don't contribute to the overall business. One team approaches are the winning strategy for PLG. We made it through my list. Now let's talk about sales-led business models and what you need to think about if you're gonna add a PLG motion to that. Mentally, you gotta know that you're building a new go-to-market model when you add PLG. And also know that adding PLG to a sales-led go-to-market motion is going to cause some pain. Know that you'll have a loss in pipeline for sales when you add product-led growth. That is normal. So what you need to do is update sales and marketing goals and comp plans, huge, huge note here, ahead of time. 
If you do that, you'll reduce friction and you'll keep the go-to-market team focused on business priorities instead of individual or team goals. Because I have seen this happen where a team adds PLG and then absolutely melts down because the sales motion has totally disintegrated and people are struggling. And think about this logically, right? Like if we add a free trial button to our website, suddenly customers that used to have to talk to a salesperson don't need to anymore. And what I've seen happen at one particular company is the company absolutely freaked out. They ended up swinging the other direction. And that's no solution because all of the underlying business or market realities that drove you to add PLG have not gone away or changed. And if you're vacillating between business models, the only people who are benefiting from that are competitors and competitive alternatives. It's certainly not going to benefit your customers or you. Second, your sales team is probably too big if you're a sales-led company and you're adding PLG. You probably have too many SDRs. You might have too many sales or account executives. So part of designing your new go-to-market is design it around the customer, not around your current team. And that doesn't just apply if you're selling into like the developer who you know famously hates talking to salespeople. The buyer journey data that we have indicates that the vast majority of all customers B2B and B2C do not want to talk to salespeople for a variety of reasons. What they want to do is make their way on their own. And if they need help, they'll let you know. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not still conducting good marketing strategies and programs, or again, that we're not trying to develop thoughtful outbound and help accelerate those processes. But the operative word there is thoughtful. We have to be thoughtful if we want to do that successfully. This is obviously a really hard part of adopting PLG. I'm not denying it, and I don't want to minimize it. However, the reality is that you have to either get ahead of what's going to happen, or you will feel deep pain across your organization for months and months, maybe even years, as the product and sales teams fight, and that's going to cause more churn and cultural conflict. So be prepared and Talk to your teams and figure out what's the best way to get ahead of this. Third, assume that people don't want to talk to sales until they ask for a meeting or a demo. And that is, again, a bit nuanced, and it's a significant mindset shift for teams that are used to orienting around a sales team. You want the majority of customers to not have to talk to sales. That, again, is probably why you're adding PLG. Like if not because there's a direct competitor, you are likely also doing it because this is going to help in terms of the economics of your business. It's why PLG can be so powerful. So you just want to make sure that that qualification, the segmentation, the lead management process, how demo requests are set up on your website, all of that needs to be aligned and on the same page before you turn the switch on. If you wait till too late, you're going to just end up spending a lot of time churn running around. It's not going to be fun. And I've seen that happen, unfortunately. Fourth, sales needs to be more of a value add when you add PLG. Because if the sales team is happy, but customers aren't, that will be a problem for you. You'll need a new pitch for one thing, 
because suddenly the customers that you used to meet with who had never talked to anyone before are in the product. So the folks that sales is now meeting with are often going to be very different or they're going to have experience with your product and therefore their questions, their expectations, their needs in those meetings are going to be different. And so you want to figure out how you can show more value. I really do not recommend continuing with the frequent habit of feature buffet demos where you just go through the product and say, feature, 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 these are all the things it does. That's not going to help your customer. This is also going to require some changes on the part of the marketing team, likely a new strategy, new campaigns, sales enablement. The demo is going to change. All of these tactical things need to happen. At a strategic level, you need to have more thoughtful outbound. And that's about having a better strategy for engaging buyers and adding value along the way. If your plan is that you'll be aggressively communicating with every executive in a large company because 30 people are using the product or whatever, those potential customers are going to be pretty irritated if they even respond to you. And it's just not a great use of a good salesperson's time either. So it's not business as usual when you add PLG. It's reset. What do we want to do? What do our customers care about? How do we deliver more value to them more quickly? Value as they measure it, not how we measure it. Fifth, this is another tactical one. A clear lead management process is really important. And another thing that I want to call out as something to watch out for, you should not let the salespeople pick who they want to talk to. That might sound basic, but I have seen that happen in a company. The other thing you've got to change, which is going to be hard for a lot of sales organizations, and why I said earlier that there are probably too many people in the org right now, you can't force buyers to sit through five, six, seven, eight qualifying meetings and phone calls and whatnot, at least not if you want to convert them as customers. You also really need to stop letting SDRs conduct campaigns just to get people to book the meeting. Like That whole funnel on the back end is not working anymore in general, and it really doesn't work in PLG motions. So rethinking this means having better qualification, managing inbound demo requests if you're getting too many of them, finding out if you need to right-size the sales team if there are just far fewer requests. Like All of this needs to be something that you think about. Last but not least on my list, PLG should make it easier to convert customers to paid or higher tiered levels of service after they use the product. So this links back up to what we talked about in the PLG motion, which is you've got to have the segments down because it's not everyone. So don't waste your time or any emotional energy trying to get 100% of free customers to pay you. They're just not going to do it. Do your pricing research. Do the work ahead of time. And customers are going to reward you because you're going to be delivering more value to them and making their lives better. And they'll appreciate that. I hope this was helpful. I know this was a deep dive into PLG, and I look forward to discussing more of this with you soon. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. We're a new podcast, so it really helps listeners find us. If you'd like more information on today's episode, check out the show notes or send us a message. 